And we're excitingly going to have those that are getting baptized uh, uh, go downstairs and change and get ready for that. And for those that came to support them in that, uh, I want to say thank you for doing that. I think that means a lot to them. It means a lot to us that you'd come and be a part of this special service. Acts 27, um, I want to say this before I start reading the scriptures. Some messages mean more to you depending on where you're at in your life at the time that you hear the message. And I'll just say this at the forefront of the message. If you've ne- you're not going through any kind of trouble in your life right now, maybe just take this message and put it in your back pocket for that rainy day. Uh, because the Bible says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In other words, trouble is part of the human experience. None of us go through our entire lives without experiencing some kind of trouble. Acts 27, let's start reading in verse number 9. I'm going to skip through some of this. Uh, this is about the Apostle Paul being on a ship and a great storm comes his way. Now when much time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and he said to them, Sirs, I per- perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage. Not only the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. And he goes on to describe certain elements that take place. There's a, a south wind that starts to blow softly in verse 13. But not long after that, verse 14, look if you would, there's this tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Now, let me just say this much. The, there are certain storms in our lives that are just quick ones. They pass through real quick, real quick, and they're there, and then they're gone. But then there's other storms that you never forget. And they have names. How about this? My marriage fell apart. How about this? Cancer. How about this? Unrealized hopes. How about this? A wayward child. How about this? Marital conflict. How about this? I've been praying and praying and praying and I can't get over this thing. You say, what is that? That's a storm. Storms are real, even for the child of God. Look, if you would, at verse number 15. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. In other words, they they had no other choice. And verse 17 describes that they were driven by that wind. Verse 18 says they were exceedingly tossed with a tempest, and it's very clear, look at verse 20, the situation looks very hopeless, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, that's a double negative, in other words, uh, it was a huge tempest, it was a huge storm, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. I like verse 21, because it shows you a little bit about the, the unique personality of the Apostle Paul, yeah, he writes half the New Testament. Yes, he's a man of God, but he is still human. You ever been right about something and no one listened to you? And then you get to tell everybody, hey, how you like me now? Right? Like, like they, basically, Paul's just sitting there, the, the storm's blowing, everybody's running around like the chicken with their hair cut off, and Paul's just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I told you. But he's quiet the whole time. Now he's speaking, verse 21, but after long abstinence, in other words, he's trying to hold it in, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. There's that, I was right. You should have listened. And not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, 
saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, let's say these four words together, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. I just want to bring in a, a message of encouragement to some of you. Some of you need to hear this message. Be of good cheer. I'm going to ask Brother Michael in the back, brother, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Can I just say this? If you're not saved, you're still going to have trouble in this life. If you're saved, you got trouble, but your trouble has a higher purpose. And it doesn't mean you're better than somebody. It just simply means you're connected with God on a real basis. Your spirit is alive. You can communicate and have a relationship with God that you could not have prior to being saved. And so now when trouble comes your way, there's fruit that can come out of it. But can I say this? Some storms are absolutely our fault and some storms are not. Remember the story of Jonah? You know what Jonah experienced? Jonah experienced a storm that was 1,000% Jonah's fault. You know what it was? Jonah was running from God. So you know what God does? He prepared that storm just for Jonah. Anybody ever been there before? You're running from God, and all of a sudden everything's going wrong. There's all kinds of a mess around you, and the world falls apart, and you go, okay, God, I get it. I don't want to run anymore. That's the lesson from Jonah. But can I say this? There are times where you're doing everything right. You're living by the book. You're serving God. Look at the Apostle Paul. He was living for Jesus Christ. He was suffering for his sake, and there he is on this ship that he did not choose, by the way, and a storm comes blowing his way. You may or may not be able to relate to that this moment in your life, but can I say this? Paul was afraid. Look at verse 24. The Bible says that the night before he was able to give them the message of be of good cheer, Paul himself heard this from the Lord. Look at verse 24, fear not. Can I say this? You don't tell people that aren't afraid not to be afraid. When you get on a ride, we took the kids to the amusement park the other day, and you get on a ride, and they start holding your hand tight. You go, hey, don't be afraid. You don't tell them that because they're over it. You tell them that because you know there's a sense of fear in their life. Paul, as spiritual as he was, he was afraid. Fear is a natural response to circumstances in this life. Paul was afraid, and the Lord told him, fear not. You know what Joshua told the people of Israel? The same exact thing. But you know what Joshua had to hear from God first? He had to hear from God first, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. You know why? Look if you would at verse number six in the passage. Verse number six, can I say this? He had no control over the situation. He did not choose that ship. He was put in that ship. Can I say there are certain circumstances in your life that you don't choose? You don't choose your parents. You don't choose certain things that come your way. Nobody chooses cancer. These are things that come our way at times. These are things that we're put in a ship in life. We go, Lord, I'm not sure that this is what I want. I don't know why this is happening. And you know what you can say? I can't control this. He had no influence initially. If you look at verse 11, nobody's listening to Paul. In verse 15, the Bible says they had to let the ship drive. In verse 17, the Bible says they were driven. And in verse 18, they were exceedingly tossed. You know what that means? That means they were cast about. They had no control at all. Can I say this? The sooner you learn that you're not in control of everything, the sooner you'll learn that God is. 
When you're constantly trying to control, you know what fear oftentimes is? Fear is this. Fear is you saying, I have to control it, and because I can't, I'm afraid. As a child of God, if you're a born-again child of God, you're a saved believer, can I say it like this? The sooner you realize that some storms are coming your way, not because of sin, not because of wrongdoing, but simply because God is trying to get you to somewhere to teach you something that maybe in the end can be a benefit to somebody else, the more joy you'll have in your Christian life. I, I believe this. There's a number of four people getting baptized today, and I'd like to tell them, hey, if you follow God, you'll never have any trouble at all. Uh, everything will be hunky-dory. Everyone's going to love you. If you stand up for Jesus Christ, everyone's going to love you. They're going to think you're the best person in the world. You're going to have no conflict whatsoever. Everything's going to be wonderful. Can I just say this? That's not true. It's not true. It's, it's not me. I would not be speaking truth if I lied to them in that fashion. You know what the real answer is? Yes, you're going to have trouble. And the closer you get to God, the more pressure there'll be externally from certain places in your life. That's absolutely true. However, God will bring you through to the other side. If you read this entire story, you understand that, that Paul does not lose his life and everyone on that ship does not lose their life. There are some things that are lost along the way. But you know what fear will do? Fear will drive you away from God when you need to cling to him more. And fear will make you run to the things that are going to destroy your life. You know what Paul was? Paul was afraid. Why? Because it's human to be afraid when things are happening in your life that you can't control. Go to John chapter 6 with me this morning. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is not the first time the disciples were put in a situation where they were afraid. You know, once you're saved, I, listen, I don't fear uh, the I don't fear death in the sense of I understand where I'm going when I die. I know that when I breathe my last breath, I will be in the presence of God Almighty, not because of my goodness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I know better. I look in the mirror. I know who I am. If you want to lie to yourself, go on and lie to yourself. I know I'm a sinner. I know what I deserve. The only reason I've got that hope is because of what God did for me through his son, Jesus Christ. I understand that. I have that hope. However, can I be honest with you? There are some methods of death I'd rather not experience. Fear is a natural part of life. But if you're not careful, that fear will move you so far away from God. The very purpose that the storm came for will be lost. And you know you'll find? You'll find yourself in a storm over and over and over and over and over because you hadn't learned the lesson. Look at John chapter 6. This is a, a, an amazing passage in the Bible where, where they had just fed miraculously thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. And look down, if you would, at verse number 19. When they, 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 there's a storm that blows their way in verse number 18. They're crossing over the other side. And the Bible says in verse 19, when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, you may go, what in the world is a furlong? Let me give you a little bit of math. All right, so, uh, uh, 25 to 30 furlongs is about 6,600 yards. That's about three and a half miles. So, so they're rowing as much as they can. I'll say it like this. Humanly speaking, when trouble comes our way, we automatically default to doing, I got to get out of this situation. I got to get myself out. That's normal. That's human. But can I say this? Until Jesus is in the boat, you're wasting your time. Notice what happens. Look, if you would, down at verse number number 20, uh, Jesus shows up walking on the scene, verse 19. What does he say? It is I, verse 20, be not what? Why does he tell them that? I think because they are. (laughs) 
They're doing everything that they can do, and yet the fear grows and grows. Can I say this again? When you try to control what's out of your control, all it does is perpetuate the fear that's gripping you in your life. Jesus says, be not afraid. And it's amazing, because look if you would at verse 21. They willingly received him into the ship. By the way, it's a good idea to let Jesus in your boat. And immediately, the ship was at the land. Isn't that kind of funny? Ah, we're all going to die. Ah, we're all going to die. Jesus gets in the boat. Ah, we're on the coast. (laughs) Like, how did that happen? Maybe the situation was this. You were closer to safety than you realized because he was in the boat. And can I say this for your life? Regardless of what you're going through or what you will go through as a child of God in this life, you want to make sure he's in the boat with you. (laughs) You don't want to be on your own ship like Jonah was. Adam hears God's voice and he runs out of fear. Sarah hears God's voice and she lies out of fear. Fear will make you do crazy, stupid things. Fear will make you lose your hope. Look back at our passage at Acts chapter number 27. Go back with me if you would. I read this, to live without hope is to cease to live. If you've got no hope in a situation, the situation feels and life itself can feel lifeless. I've talked to a number of people lately that are just, they're going through some storms. And I I hope it's an encouragement to you. That I want you to understand that that in these storms, you are not without hope. It feels that way. But can I get a witness? Your feelings are not always an accurate uh, thermostat, if you will, for what is true in your life. Uh, Does anybody remember being 13 or 14 years old, not trying to pick on anyone that's at that age, and thinking, man, I've met the love of my life. We're going to get married. We're going to be high school sweethearts. Why is everybody laughing right now? Because some of y'all have done that. You know, I know. I've, you know, you look at it, the young ladies look at him, you know, and he's, he's got, you know, the you know, little wife beater on, you know, and he's doing the Instagram Snapchat, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, 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 and listen, gentlemen, let me just help you out a little bit. If you got to do duck lifts, just, you're, something's wrong there, okay? Let's stay, gentlemen, can we stay away from duck lifts? Can we do that? Good? Okay. All right, you guys seem a little nervous right now. No duck lips? You're not, okay, all right, all right. Uh, I, I mean, let, let's just be honest, though. You, you look at him, you go, oh, he's the man of my dreams. And, and you know, like, by next summer, you forgot his name. Your feelings are not an accurate representation of what is true in your life. You can feel that things are hopeless. And can I say this? It is not that God is going to judge you for that feeling, but you have to submit that feeling to God in order to understand where it's actually going on in your life. Paul looks around and says, there's no sun, there's no stars, there's no moon. It would seem that all hope was lost, that we would be saved. And can I say this? In your life, if you are a child of God, that word saved has nothing to do with your soul. It has to do with the problems in your life. And can I tell you this? If he's strong enough to save your soul, he's strong enough to get you through those storms. Amen. Your soul is eternal. That, that, that bill that came in the mail is not. He, he, listen, he, he's, he's eternal. The relationship humanly that you're struggling with is not. He's eternal. The cancer is not. He's, I'm not telling you he's going to take the cancer away, but he'll get you through the storm. You will, your, your soul, will, your life will not be lost because your life is hid with Christ in God. Can I say this this, this this afternoon? Be of good cheer. Number one, your life isn't over, but maybe your ship is. See, what do you mean by that? Well, look if you would at verse number 22. Acts 27, verse 22. 
You know what Paul says? I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, you know what that ship represents? That, that ship represents kind of like um, the, the vehicle, or the method of which you have used in your entire life, or maybe the last few years of your life, or maybe some stage of your life to get you where you're at. And you go, man, if I lose the ship, I lose me. And God's trying to tell you, if you lose the ship, a.k.a. you lose a human relationship, your life is not over. If you lose the praise of people, the ship maybe needs to get broken because you need to understand it's not about the ship, it's about you. God cares about you, not the boat. The reason he cares about being in the boat is because you're, you're his child and you're in it. He cares about the boat because of you. If the boat gets lost, you're okay. The problem is when you start feeling that the boat is your identity more than the light that God has given you. Peter had to learn this. When the Lord met Peter, he goes, hey, Pete, can you just kind of uh, thrust out from the land a little bit? In other words, Peter, I want your boat. And Peter's like, man, this is how I make my money. This is how I, everybody knows me as the fisherman. They know me as the cussing fisherman. You know, they know me as like kind of the loudmouth fisherman. But this boat represents my life. And the Lord goes, no, Pete, I represent your life. The boat doesn't. Toward the end of Peter's life, you might remember the Lord shows up on the, sea, the seashore. And he's got some fish on the fire. And he calls out and he goes, hey, you guys catch anything? You know the story. And Peter's like, no, we ain't catching. That's kind of a kind of a jab at a professional fisherman that's been fishing all night. You know, you know, guys go fishing. We oh, want one this big, you know. And Peter's like, I got that this many. There's no, zero goose egg. He's got nothing. Now look, I, I appreciate people who like to hunt. I really do. I think if you like to hunt, I think it's great. Bring me some meat. I don't mind at all. But I'll be honest with you. My my idea of a good time is not sitting around for three days in the freezing winter, not being able to shoot what I came out to shoot. That's just not my idea of a good time. You know what Peter does? He goes fishing. He wants to catch fish. The Lord says, you catch anything? No, Lord. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you throw on the right side? You know the story? He gets the fish, and they realize it's the Lord. What happens when Peter realizes that the Lord is not in the ship, but he's over on the shore? What does Peter do? He swims. What does he leave behind? See, sometimes God wants you to understand the boat's not as important as you are. But without my job, without my friend, without my boyfriend, without my girlfriend, without my relationship, without my career, without this part of my identity, I'll be lost. No, you won't. You're not lost if you've got Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice in verse number 19, they've got to throw the tackling. The tackling's gone. They, they throw out the anchors in verse 29. And look at verse number 41. In verse 41, it's pretty clear that by this point, the ship is gone. The Bible says, falling to a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the, and by the way, there are certain aspects of our life that God understands we would never willingly give up. So he makes it a little bit easier on us and brings a storm our way so he can show you that the boat needs to go, but I'm going to take care of you anyways. And can I just say this? It is not a pretty picture. I mean, by the time they get to shore, it's not a, you know, everyone's, you know, swimming elegantly. They're not doing this kind of, they are flailing. They're grabbing whatever they can. It may not be pretty, but at least you get to the finish line. Be of good cheer. You won't be lost, but maybe your boat needs to be. Secondly, can I say this? Be of good cheer. You are not alone. I think one of the things the devil does in your life when you're going through a storm is he convinces you that you are all 
by all myself. You know, I'm just I'm all by myself. No one cares. I'm going to eat worms. I'm going to die. He gives you the idea that the same thing Elijah went through. Hey, listen, no one cares. I'm going to go sit under a tree. God, just kill me. It'd be better if I were dead. Can I say this? Let God make that determination, not you. And you know why Paul felt so alone? No one's listening to Paul. I mean, look, Paul's on the ship, and you know he's, he's, a, he's a, a rabbi. He was a former master in the Jewish uh, 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 doctrine of the Old Testament, the law. And, and there he is on the ship, and he's like, man, when I had students, they'd listen. Here I am telling everybody, like, the, the boat isn't a good idea. Let's not do this. No one's listening. Matter of fact, look at verse number 11. Look what it says here in verse number 11. The centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. You know why Paul felt so alone? No one was listening. You ever felt that way? <laughs> I mean, you know what, basically, you know what they told Paul? We're going to trust the experts. You know, I got this prediction called the great die-off. Uh, this prediction was given back in the 70s, and it says this about uh, uh, the, the earth. More women having babies in the developing world was expected to exceed the caring capacity of the earth. I don't even know what that means. Did they think it would get too heavy, the earth would fall? I don't know. Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increase. People that say stupid stuff like this have never driven through Wyoming. <laughs> or Kansas, or half of West Texas. Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increase in food supply we make. Ehrlich said, the death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. That was 1979-1980. I showed up in 81. We're still here. Ehrlich <laughs> predicted that between 1980 and 1989, some 4 billion people, including 65 million Americans, would perish in the great die-off. What? I'm sorry, I don't always trust the experts because the experts aren't always right. And people feign themselves to, under, to believe that they know what the future holds when they don't. Can I say this? You as a child of God, quit listening to the experts and listen to God's voice. I'm not saying if you're having to see a doctor, you don't see a doctor. That's not my point. My point is this. When it comes to the matters of your life, your Savior knows more about you than anybody else. Paul felt alone because no one was listening. Can I point out to you, Look, if you would, at verse number 23. You're not alone. Be of the cheer. God's got you. You're on his side. He's on your side. Look, if you would, at verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of, the, of God, whose I am and whom I serve. There stood by me. There's a position there. There's a proximity there. He's by you. He's not far away. Aren't you glad that he's nigh unto those that call upon him? Aren't you glad for a God that you don't have to go through some man? You don't have to go through some religion. You can go as a born-again child of God. You go straight before the throne room of God himself, and you cry, Abba, Father, and he's right there. Thank God for a God like that. The Bible says here in verse 23, whose I am and whom I serve. I see position, proximity, and the presence of God, and I see that you are his possession. You know what that means? He cares about his possession. He's not going to leave you. The Bible says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Can I say, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was by himself, but he wasn't by himself. I can imagine Daniel getting down and praying three times a day, just like he had been told not to. And he gets down and he prays with his window open for everyone to hear his prayers, morning, noon, and night. And the government goes, don't you know what the law was just passed? You're in contempt. We're going to throw you in the lion's den. Talk about like real scary stuff. I had a young man reach out to me uh, from uh, Malaysia. 
And he goes, a preacher, I'd like to be more public about my witness for Jesus Christ, but it can get me thrown in jail. It could get me killed here. You know, us Americans, we don't understand what that's like. But here's Daniel, and Daniel uh, professes to know the God of the Bible, and he speaks to that God. And because he does that, he's thrown in the lion's den. And by everyone's human analysis, Daniel is all alone. And yet Daniel's not all alone. Those Hebrew boys, just a few chapters before Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, the the Bible says that they were told to, to bow down and to worship. In other words, get in compliance with where the world is going or else. And they didn't. You know what they said? You guys are all by yourselves. You're outnumbered. You need to do fall down and worship. You know, they said, we won't do it. Our God, you know what they said? Our God's going to rescue us. And oh, by the way, if he doesn't, this is still the right thing to do. So you take those three young men. They're not boys. They're young men. They're thrown into this fire. And then they get people to go check on that fire. And the people that go check on that fire, the, the, the fire is so hot. Those people that go just to check on it, they are consumed. But then hours later, they look inside that fire. And those three boys are not just not dead. They're walking around. And oh, by the way, there's a fourth man in the fire. And he's like the son of God. You know what that shows me? When you think you're all by yourself as a Christian, you are not. You're in the best company you could be in. Elijah says, I'm all alone, and he wasn't. Daniel may have felt alone, he wasn't. Why? Because Jesus Christ says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John chapter 14. Remember the old song, I've seen the lightning flashing, I've heard the thunder roll. i felt sin's breakers dashing, which try to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior, he bid me still fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. The world's fierce winds are blowing, temptation sharp and keen. I have a peace in knowing my Savior stands between. He stands to shelter me from danger when all my friends are gone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. While in affliction's valley I tread the road of care, my Savior helps me carry my cross so heavy to bear. Though all around me is darkness and earthly joys are flown, my Savior whispers His promise never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. You know why Paul could get up and tell them, hey, we're not, I'm not alone. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. If you go one chapter prior, or I'm sorry, about four chapters prior, in Acts 23, you don't have to turn there, but here's what happens. Paul is thrown in a, 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 a tumultuous mix of people, and they want to kill him. They want him to die. And that very night, he thought his life was over. You know what the angel of God did? The angel of God stood by him and said, be of good cheer, just like he did here in Acts 27. You know what I'm telling you? The Bible says and promises you, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You ought to hold on to that promise in the middle of your storm. Say, preacher, I'm not going through a storm. Well, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, the other day we drove home after Wednesday night service, and man, the lightning was popping, and the thunder was rolling, and you could see, you know, little funnel clouds over here. And, and, and I'll tell you what, man, it was beautiful to behold from a distance. You know what a lot of people do? Brother, it's going to be just fine. It's okay. You're not in the boat with me. It doesn't feel okay. You ever been there? You come to church, going through a problem. They go, oh, it's going to be all right. You're like, don't touch me. You know, because my, my problem is my problem, right? And, and I, that's a human re- response to it. Maybe it's not right, but it's human. 
And people try to comfort, but can I tell you, there is nothing like, even when people come up and their attempts are vain, when they try to help, there's nothing like knowing God's right next to me. Be of good cheer, you're not alone. Can I say this? Be of good cheer, you have a choice in this. Look at verse number 25. You say, well, it's out of control. I don't know how to control any of this. There is a choice that you actually do have control over. Look, if you would, at verse number 25 in the passage. You know what Paul says? Be of good cheer. Why? For I believe God. You know what faith is? Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. And faith is not, well, I just feel it, therefore. No, no, no. Doubt is a choice. So is faith. He says, I believe God. Can I ask you a question? Can you find one mistake in this book? I'll never forget years ago. I know I tell a story all the time. Those who are regulars around here uh, knocked on someone's door. And I said, hey, we're here to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'll abbreviate the story. Here to tell you about Jesus Christ. Well, I'd love to come and invite you to our church. Well, I don't go to church. That's great. If you never come to our church, that's fine. But can we ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You go, oh, you're one of those Bible thumpers that goes around talking to people. I'm a Christian. That's what it says to do. Listen, if you had cancer and someone just magically took your cancer away, or you had some kind of awful disease, or you had a debt of a million dollars and someone wiped it all away with a stroke of a pen, someone did something miraculous for it, you talk about it to all your friends and family. The God of the universe came down here, lived my life, lived it flawlessly and without sin, died in my place so I could be righteous in the sight of God. You betcha I want to talk to people about that. Knocked on this guy's door. This guy comes out. You know what he says? He goes, well, there's mistakes in the Bible. That's why I can't believe it. I said, okay. I'm from Missouri. Show me. And the guy goes, well, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's in here somewhere. I said, yeah, I'm sure it is. Do you know, let me say this. Has God ever been wrong? Is he going to start being wrong now? Can I ask you a question? When, when the storm comes your way, why is it that you doubt him? You know what doubt is? doubt is? Doubt is actually faith just in the wrong thing. Right. Doubt is you taking your faith and placing your belief, it's a choice, and placing your belief in the opposite of what God said to you as a child of God. You say, what is doubt? Doubt is the vacuum of biblical faith, but it doesn't mean that there's not faith. There's absolute faith in doubt. When someone says, I don't believe in God, I believe in X, you know what that is? You have placed your faith in something else. Your doubt of God does not mean you don't have faith. It's just faith that's misplaced. Paul said, I believe God. Oswald Chambers says, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. You know what it says about those heroes of the faith over there in Hebrews 11? By faith, Abel offered unto God. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, being war- Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. Can you imagine telling all your friends and family when they come by and see you working on this huge DIY project? They're like, what are you building? I'm building a boat. Why? There's a storm coming. Well, what's a storm? I don't know, but God says it's coming. They would laugh at you and you would feel like an idiot. You know what Noah did? Lord, I feel like an idiot, but I'm going to keep building this ark. And I can tell you this, boy, when the rain came, (laughs) Noah was glad he listened. You know what faith is? It's a choice. Thomas doubts the Lord, and the Lord tells Thomas when he catches up with him, be not faithless, but believing. You know what William Shakespeare said like this? Our doubts are traitors. Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win. Faith is a choice. Be of good cheer. He's never been wrong, has he? Don't doubt him now. 
Ne- never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. You go, man, well, just, I mean, everything looks bad out there. You know, and the, the, the government's corrupt and media's corrupt and this is bad and that's bad and things aren't like they used to be. And you know, if you're a born-again child of God, you know what you ought to do? You ought to walk around smiling and skipping and whistling going, man, isn't it great? He's about to come back. Be of good cheer if you're saved. If you're lost, it might feel a little uncertain. It might feel like things are a mess, and they are. But I can tell you right now, you also can be of good cheer if you accept him as your Savior. Be of good cheer. Can I say this in closing? God can use your storm to help other people. Can I tell you when the storm comes your way, do you know what you think? You know what you think? Think about it. Think, let's be honest. You go, God, why? Am I right about that? When a problem comes your way, you think to yourself naturally, Lord, why me? And rarely in your mind does the thought come up that there are actually other people in the ship. See, Paul felt lonely. He felt like no one knows what I'm going through, but, but you got to remember there were other people on that boat. Look, if you would, toward the end of the chapter. It's going to describe for us how many people are actually on this boat. Look at verse number 36. Verse 36. Then they were all of good cheer after Paul fed them and had them eat a meal because they were hopeless prior to that. And look at verse 37. We were all in all in the ship, 203 score. And, that's 276 people. Yet he felt he was all by himself. You know what Paul, I believe what Paul went through and what, what Paul experienced wasn't just about Paul. Listen to me very carefully. When you're facing a storm, it's not... This is hard to accept. It's not all about you. If you're a child of God, can I say this? There are other people on the boat who need to see that your God is real to you. You've got neighbors and you've got family and you've got people at work you're trying to influence for Jesus Christ and they need to see when that storm blows your way that you don't blow a gasket, throw your Bible aside, quit on God and leave it all behind. They need to see that you stand fast and go, I don't know why it's here, I don't understand it, but by the grace of God, even if I had to float to shore on a broken piece of ship, I'm going to make it by the grace of God. Be of good cheer not always about you. God can use your storm to help other people. Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter 4, just to illustrate this. Mark chapter 4. I don't know what the name of your storm is, but at some point in your life, you're going to have a storm if you're not dealing with one right now. And I pray that when you get to it, you can learn to be of good cheer in the middle of that storm. The being of good cheer, by the way, they weren't of good cheer because the storm went away. The storm was still there when they became of good cheer. They became of good cheer when they started to listen to what Paul was saying to them, and Paul was only speaking to them the words that God gave him. Look at Mark 4, verse number 39. Jesus gets up one day. There's a great storm that shows up when the disciples are in that boat, and he gets up, and the Bible says, he arose and rebuked the wind and said in the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I think the Lord is kind of hard on his disciples. If you want me to be honest with you, I think he's right. He's always right. But I mean, like, if you went through a hurricane in a boat from, like, way back then times, and you were a little afraid, I'd be like, you are normal. You know what the Lord says? Why are you so fearful? Uh, because the storm. He gets up and he rebukes that storm, and there's a great calm. It says there was a great storm, 37, great calm, verse 39. And it's interesting, because you know what? You look at the story and go, what was the whole purpose of that? 
You know the answer is you won't even know if you don't get to chapter 5. You know why God was trying to calm the storm in the hearts of his disciples first? Because there's a maniac, a a demon-possessed man, a man filled with devils on the other side that he needs to minister to. And if his disciples don't have peace in here, what good could they be trying to pour out something on a world that needs peace when they don't have it in there? You say, why is God bringing me through the storm? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not that smart. I can tell you this. Sometimes he does it because he wants you to be a help to somebody else. If you read the rest of the story, we don't have time. Paul gets these men and they float. Look at Acts 27. Look at the end of the chapter. They're floating to shore on broken pieces of wood. They're grabbing whatever they can. Can I say this? If you had a camera of this thing, this would not look like an Olympic swimming event. This would have looked like a giant mess. And you may go, I just feel like my life's a giant. You know what God's saying? It might be for a little bit. It might be. Maybe that's, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's helpful so that you understand you weren't in control. Maybe it's good so that people can see that Christians are real and we've got problems too. Maybe it's good for the world to understand. Sometimes we're a mess, but we're God's mess. Amen? Pastor, I just, I want smooth sailing. Well, you're human. You're not going to have that. And as a child of God, you actually have a purpose for your storms. To bring honor and glory to your creator and your savior. And help those around you. Several years ago, we had a couple in our church named Joel and Nikki Gaines. And, uh, man, I, like, I love Joel. Like a brother. He's a good man. And I remember... Um, every year around a certain time of year Nikki would really struggle and it was the anniversary of losing a, a baby that was born the baby only lived a few hours I've never gone through that I can't say what that's like I can never go to Nikki and go, hey, I know what that's like. It, it's going to be okay. But she has been a blessing to countless other women who have been through that. I don't think she would have chosen that ship, but it's the ship that she was on. And God allowed her story to help others. Can I say this? 2,000 years ago, A man was put through the worst unimaginable torture that he could have been put through, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he goes through that, and from a human perspective, it looks like just a big mess. You got criminals hanging on a cross, you got religious zealots screaming things out, you got politicians saying things. It just the whole thing seems a little bit like a circus and And yet in that brokenness, Jesus Christ's body is broken. By the breaking of his life, we live. You know what he had to do? He had to say, Father, if I need to be broken so that Adrian can be saved, I'm good with that. So Christian, when you're going through it, 
Remember that God can use your broken ship to help someone else. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, if we're honest, we don't always understand why you do the things that you do, why you allow certain storms in our lives. Well, I can look back on a few of them. Where one really sticks out in my mind. Lord, I just, uh, like the old song, the old hymn says, Lord, I, I feel life is useless and I were better dead. Lord, I felt that before. Lord, every once in a while, you remind me of those broken pieces of the ship. And Lord, Lord, the tears now, they're not, they're not because of hopelessness, Lord. It's because of looking back and seeing how you work things out. I could not have seen that at the time. I couldn't have understood it. I sure am sorry for doubting you. Lord, thank you for... Lord, thank you for the storms. Lord, I pray that someone that's here today, Lord, could be of good cheer someone who's going through a storm. I pray you put your hand on the lives of your believers, your children here today and give them the grace. Lord, when it feels dark, it feels lonely, it feels isolated, would you remind them they're not alone? Would you comfort them, Lord? Christ is your Savior. The greatest storm you have to face is the one that comes after you take your last breath. You say, Preacher, you're trying to scare me? No, I'm just trying to be intellectually honest with you about what the Bible says about what happens after the body is through. You have an eternal soul. Jesus Christ came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And if you're here and you've never accepted him as your savior, can I say it graciously? We don't want you to miss out. You know what we're saying? Come on, get in the boat. And you may go, well, your boat's a mess. (laughs) 
it's a mess, but it's not as messy as this world without God is. And I'll take God's mess over the world's. You know what we say? Ask this question, real simple question, if you're here and you're saved, with heads bowed and eyes closed and for the sake of privacy and respect of others, if you're saved, you be willing to slip up your hand and go, I'm a child of God, I know I'm saved. If that's you, raise your hand. You know what there is? All of us place hands everywhere. That's great. You know what I see? I see a bunch of people who are going to go out in this world this week and maybe you're going to face some storms this week and the world needs to see that you're going to be okay. That you, you trust your God in the storm just like you do in the peace. But can I say this? If you're here and you've never been saved, would you, let me ask you this, would you be willing to be honest with God? With no one looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed, would you be honest to raise your hand and go, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. Is anyone here like that? I, won't, I will not point you out. I will not drag you down. I will not embarrass you, but I'd like to know so I can pray for you. Would you be willing to be honest enough with God and go, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know if I am. Or maybe you might just go, I know I'm not saved. I'm lost. We'd love to be able to pray for you if that's you. See it. See it. Appreciate it. Anybody else? As we bow our heads and we close the service, let me just say if you raised your hand or maybe, I'll say it this way, if you wanted to, maybe you didn't want to feel embarrassed or whatever. We're human beings. I get it. But if that's you, can I, can I encourage you to not leave without someone being able to open up the Bible? Literally between five to ten minutes long to open up a Bible and show you what it means to be saved. Don't leave the day without that. We want you to know the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Storms are going to come, winds are going to blow, lightning's going to crash, thunder's going to roll. That's life. But man, it's a whole lot different when Jesus is in the boat. Thank you for hearing the message. I'm going to ask for those that have babies in the nursery, if you'd like to grab them at this time. All right, those, if you have to leave and you need to go somewhere, no judgment, you're welcome to do that. Those who would like to stay to watch these folks get baptized, stick around. Uh, Brother James is going to lead us uh, in a few songs here. Those who are getting baptized, we're going to go downstairs and uh, get changed. And uh, Brother James, you come on up at this time.